everyone, and welcome to another fresh edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast, our midweek edition, as we have plenty to talk about and plenty to look forward to this weekend with the Spanish Grand Prix upon us. Temperatures will be scorching considering it's August, and you know that just means that we'll be talking about tires and the possibility of tires blistering or exploding, which is why it's so fitting that I'm here with one of my gurus today, Lawrence Edmondson, the perfect guru if we're going to be talking about tires and then blistering again, Lawrence. Nate, he can't be joining us today, literally, but he still refused to miss out because we will hear from him a little later on when we take on Nate's bald predictions, our new little segment, and that, of course, is after we take on your predictions and questions in our pit stop segment. So, Lawrence, it's just you and I steadying the ship. How are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, I've um, kind of come down from all the excitement of the 70th anniversary Grand Prix and everything that it entailed. Um, and uh, yeah, now kind of getting ramped up again uh, to follow the Spanish Grand Prix. Sadly, I won't be on site. Uh, I managed to make the two Silverstone races, which was uh, a nice experience given everything that's happened and nice to see race cars back uh, in the carbon fiber. Um, but yeah, no, no, no Spanish Grand Prix for me. I know, but it's okay because you're not really missing out because we don't even need to be in Spain to be blistering because I feel like I'm blistering myself by just being in London. It's been an absolute scorcher this week. So I don't, I don't even know how you guys are keeping cool because at least I'm West Indian and I'm used to kind of this weather, but you guys must be blistering like tires. <laughs> no, it, it, it is pretty grim. Uh, and I haven't actually gone back to London yet, but I'm going back this evening. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> but um, interestingly, uh, over the weekend, well, I don't know if it is that interesting, but anyway, the air conditioning in the media center was so damn cold that I actually had to go outside to warm up. So... Um, yeah, I, I was the opposite to everyone else, where everyone else was blisteringly hot uh, out kind of uh, enjoying the, the English summer. I was freezing cold in the media centre. So, uh, yeah, at, at least feel sorry for me in some extent for having to oh. or d d deal with all that dur during the weekend. I just can't wait for winter to hit. And I know I'm going to be complaining and being like, oh, gosh, remember that week when it was boiling in England? Why didn't I make the most of it? But it's OK. I suppose it's all about balance anyways. But now let's get into some of the news stories from this week. I mean, last week was crazy in terms of news stories. We were trying to see if Sergio Perez would recover in time from coronavirus to actually race again at the British Grand Prix or whether it was going to be Nico Hulkenberg. There was so much going on, of course, with the Renault protest into Racing Point. Um, I suppose this week isn't as explosive as, as, as last week, but there are still some very juicy stories. And when I mean juicy stories, I mean... Everyone's just kicking off, Lawrence. I think everyone but Nico Hulkenberg is kicking off with one another. So let's just start off, I suppose, with the Racing Point saga. Um, we know that two teams definitely confirmed that they will appeal against the punishment that was given to Racing Point. And that, for those of you that don't know, it's a 400,000 euro fine. I'm sure it's not that much for them, but for us, you know, commoners, that would kill us all. And, <laughs> and then mainly, though, I suppose what really would hurt them is that they were deducted 15 points. So... What's the latest there, Lawrence, and how close are we to, you know, a hearing in the FIA Court of Appeal? Well, I think it's just as well that um, they were socially distant in the Silverstone paddock because it sounded like it's getting very, very heated between the teams. Uh, so you had these four teams which uh, announced their intention to appeal at Silverstone, and that was uh, Ferrari, McLaren, Renault and Williams. Uh, two of those have gone through with that, so they've backed up their intention with an actual appeal, uh, which is Ferrari and Renault. And that means we're going to the International Court of Appeal and this whole 
saga of copying brake ducts or using Mercedes data to design brake ducts for this year is going to continue. And um, we don't have a date yet on, on, on when that will happen, but uh, you know th this could drag on for, for months. Uh, and, uh, and it's now going to go in front of uh, lawyers. And um, whilst the stewards did make a decision based on, it's kind of based on French law is the way they explained it, is that, uh, you know, with the way they look at everything uh, within the regulations, those regulations are then kind of put up to the standard of French law and then that's applied to try and come to a conclusion. They came to the conclusion, of course, as you said, the Racing Point uh, had basically um, used Mercedes data to design their rear brake ducts this year. That's not allowed anymore because the brake ducts now have to be designed by each team. Um, and uh, and so we had this uh, big kickoff in, in Silverstone. But it's funny, almost every team on the grid is getting either directly involved or indirectly. So even Haas and AlphaTauri, for example, which haven't really commented on this, Racing Point are looking at them and they're saying, well, yes, we took a Mercedes idea, which we had legally in 2019, and we applied it to our 2020 car. But look at those cars, because they were both taking brake ducts from their suppliers, which was Red Bull with AlphaTauri, Ferrari with Haas. So surely they they didn't just forget all that information going into this year. So even these teams on the periphery, which haven't really kind of spoken out about it, I know Gunter Steiner had a word or two to say on it, saying, you know, we're absolutely clean. You know, they need to look at themselves and stuff like that. But all these teams are getting dragged into it. Um, Mercedes are obviously involved. You know, this team that is going from strength to strength, winning world champions uh, championships is having this kind of dragged in as well. And Toto Wolff has said, well, I'm happy to go to court. You know, if, if we need to do it, we need to do it. And he also claimed that he was asked to be a mediator at one point between uh, essentially Ferrari, McLaren, Williams and Renault and Racing Point. And obviously that didn't work out because um, it, nothing was mediated. We're continuing and it's going to get probably even more vicious and even more expensive for the teams involved with this appeal process as we go forward. So I suppose the, the thing, I mean, you can tell me if we're reading too much into it, but it's, um, it is Ferrari and, of course, Renault that are going ahead with their appeal and then McLaren and Williams that have pulled out of the appeal. I mean, what does, I suppose, what does that mean or what's the thinking behind that or what does it tell us? Well, we've only really heard in very short statements uh, from the teams and obviously not being at the racetrack, not being allowed to kind of directly talk to them. We don't know exactly. So we'll get some more answers about that at the Spanish Grand Prix weekend when we get them in press conferences. But um, it seems to me that, uh, or from the McLaren and the Williams statement, is that they looked at it and they accept that the FIA have pledged to kind of rule out copying uh, other teams in the future by changing the regulations. Now, this is the thing. It's a, it's a much wider uh, subject. It's a much more kind of philosophical subject than just these rear brake ducts on the racing point. Yes, they are the tip of the iceberg. Yes, they are the bit that uh, has been possible to protest because of the change in regulations around it. But all those other teams, what they're worried about is this idea that you can come into Formula One, uh, look at the fastest car, take photos of it, reverse engineer it, and that technology has got to a point now where you can do that successfully in the course of essentially a year and come out with a car which Silverstone over one lap in the hands of Nico Hulkenberg was the second fastest car. And um, we're kind of stuck between, is this just a really ingenious thing that Racing Point did? Did they look at the regulations and decide this was the best way to move up the grid? Or have they um, basically taken the rule book and kind of, you know, I don't know, I don't want to use bad language, but, you know, kind of <laughs> yeah. take, take, taken the piss, uh, essentially. And, um, and, and, and that's the question that, 
uh, all these other teams want answered because uh, the, the thing about these four teams uh, that put in the initial intent to protest uh, is that they all produce their own stuff. They all do their own gearboxes. They all do their own suspension. Uh, they build their cars from the ground up and they believe that is what Formula One should be about. The racing point example suggests that's not really what Formula One's about. You know, you can just enter a uh, technical partnership with a team. Uh, you can use their wind tunnel and you can basically design your own car around that. And if that becomes a shortcut to success, uh, then the likes of McLaren and, you know, are going to have to try and follow it as well. And, and they don't want to be in that situation. They, they want to kind of move their way back up the grid in their own right. So it's a huge uh, topic and also this isn't a new topic we, we've had this before we had it when Haas first came in and they were taking a lot of parts from Ferrari so um, it's something which uh, really probably does need to be clarified and I think as much as they would like to see the uh, the ruling kind of beefed up a bit maybe more points docked maybe Racing Point having to redesign their own brake ducts which the stewards said they didn't have to do they said they could continue with them as much as they want to see that, I think what they're really seeking is clarity going forward on what it means to be a constructor, a Formula One team, and what that entails with what you have to do from an engineering basics. Because until that's cleared up, you're going to have teams uh, finding grey areas in the rules to uh, to find performance. Oh, muddy waters, man. Muddy waters. It's going to be to the point where probably nobody can copy anything, not even the same color. If there's one team that's red, nobody else can have red. If there's one team that's blue, nobody else can have blue because it is such a sticky topic and it's one that I'm sure we'll continue tracking because as Lawrence said, there's still a lot of clarification needed and you know more details will definitely come. And geez and ages, man, I, I've seen less drama at all girls' schools and I know because I went to one. So this is, here we have grown men and some of the brightest minds in the world throwing mud at each other. And I mean, I suppose that brings us to the next newsy topic as well Lawrence that you brought to our attention and that has to do with the Concord agreement and I read some of the comments from Toto Wolf and whoo spicy and I know I'm spicy but Toto I kind of I like a spicy Toto I mean he's been calling people two-faced and even said that you know some teams may be up the arse and I quote even though we try to keep this as a family-friendly show but he said what he said you know and, and I suppose that's the level that it's got so Lawrence what exactly is this Concord agreement why is Toto and Mercedes so ticked off and and you know why is everyone else just ticked off with each other so let's start with what the Concord agreement is and um, it's probably the most important document or group of documents uh, in Formula One because it's the commercial deal that binds the sport together so uh, it dictates how much the teams get for showing up and uh, finishing in different places in the Constructors' Championship, the prize money, essentially. Uh, it also dictates the governance of the sport, so how you go about changing rules, who you need to have sign-off from, uh, whether a rule can be changed mid-season, whether it needs a lead time of however long. And all of these things uh, obviously have a huge impact on not only the business models of the teams, but also their performance on track. Because the more money you get in prize money, the more you can invest in R&D, and the further you'll go. And so the existing one um, predates the current Formula One setup. So it goes back to the Bernie Eccleston days. And uh, it is a particularly controversial agreement because it gives Ferrari a huge amount, a, a big bonus payment to start with. And it also set up this thing called the strategy group where you had uh, essentially six teams uh, dictating which way the rules would go 
five of them were on it permanently one could swap in and out but then you were left with four teams that had no say in the rules so we knew and liberty knew when they bought the sport in 2017 that this had to change they had to find ways to make the sport a, a fairer place uh, to kind of have a more equal distribution of the revenue still structured by where you finish so there's an incentive to go and uh, you know, perform well and win races and, you know, you get prize money based on where you are, which is similar to the Premier League. But but they wanted something that was uh, fairer in terms of who got what and also potentially uh, kind of knocking down these these big payments, historical payments that, say, Ferrari had. And so we don't know the exact details at the moment. We know that Ferrari has held on to some kind of uh, financial package just for showing up, which is controversial in itself. Uh, certainly for the likes of Mercedes. And um, Mercedes also pointed to the fact that Red Bull as a company has two teams, so they get two sets of payments. Now, of course, they still have to put twice as many cars on track, uh, mm -hmm. but still, uh, th that was a sticking point for Mercedes as well. But I think this is also going down to the governance and uh, and how the rules will be formulated in the future and concerns that maybe rules could be overturned within a season with um, uh, the agreement of eight teams rather than the full 10. All of this is a bit murky. None of this is clear exactly what it is, but it, it, what is clear is that Mercedes isn't happy with what we have right now um, uh, on, on, on the table as an agreement going forward. So, so the, the initial uh, sign-on period was meant to open today, August 12th. Um, that's been pushed back because there's obviously details that need to be sorted. Uh, and then the final uh, kind of point at which F1 wants this done is the end of uh, the month. Now, there is a, it wouldn't be, it's happened before that Formula One has continued without a Concord agreement. So they just continued with the terms of the previous one and they carried it over, but it gets so messy. And this is also a massively important document for Formula One because in terms of shareholders, in terms of uh, confidence in this business, they need this because if they don't have this document, Mercedes can walk away. You know, the big brands can walk away and that creates um, a very, you know, in a time when we have, uncertain future based on coronavirus and based on uh, all the other things going on in the world and you know the fact that there's not that much money sloshing around anymore uh, not having the teams tied down to a future contract gets um very concerning so talking to toto's point uh, what he was suggesting is that behind closed doors mm. the teams still have a lot of objections a lot of them are worried about it but then in press conferences we've seen ferrari and mclaren and williams all say oh no, we're going to sign up, it's great. But Toto's suggesting actually behind closed doors, there's a little bit more to it than that. And that seems to be the case because we've had this deadline for the initial sign-on uh, kick down the road a bit. That seems to be the case. So again, F1 politics, you know, and this is all about who gets what for such a long time in the future that uh, this is incredibly important. And F1 wants it there sorted so that they've got that uh, stability going forward. But the teams, especially Mercedes, are not going to sign up to something they don't want. And then you look at the power structure within that. Mercedes supplies um, three teams with engines this year. Mm -hmm. Next year with McLaren, that's going to become four teams. If they whip that out from under F1, you know, it's a lot to ask of the other engine manufacturers. You know, it creates questions about around whether other manufacturers want to be involved, you know, if, if, if Mercedes aren't there and stuff like that. So... I mean, perhaps they would. They might get shot winning, but still, it's it, it's a, it's a huge thing, and there's so much politics at play, and there's some very powerful hands. You know, if this was a game of poker, Mercedes have a very powerful hand. Of course, F1 have a powerful hand, 
Ferrari have a powerful hand because no one wants to see Formula 1 without Ferrari, but they're all trading off against each other and they've all got those poker faces on and we don't know at this stage which way it's going to go. Oh my goodness. Oh, these things are such heavy topics, of course, to talk about. Like you said, it's, I feel like it just needs to get a point where it, to a point where it's like every man for themselves, every engine for yourself, make your own engine, make your own colours. People have to come up with their own colours as well because like you said, when you're reliant on others, there's that, that little game of politics or politics as we like to say in jamaica and that always always complicates things but i'm sure there's obviously more details as well on this story as we continue to track it on the espn f1 page but Lawrence, uh, something else? yeah i'll just say w w one more point is that i should say we have been in this situation in the past uh, mm -hmm. where teams have kind of threatened to leave the sport we've had threats of breakaway series so a gp1 or whatever you know to rival formula one and teams said well we're going to join that unless you give us better better deals and uh, so that was in the Bernie Eccleston era and it all worked out in the end and we continued with Formula One and Ferrari stayed in Formula One, albeit on very good terms, but they stayed in Formula One. And so I think we will get to a situation where it is resolved. But yeah, like I said, right now, we're in the heat of that, uh, well, the heat of the summer, the heat of the politics and clearly everyone's getting a little bit on everyone's nerves and they're having to see each other week after week after week after week at the racetrack and none of them are budging. So. From our point of view, hey, sit back and enjoy it. Uh, you know, those comments coming out, Toto getting angry. You know, I, I love an angry Toto. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's always like disappointing when he comes out and he's very calm after a race they haven't won or whatever. But when you get an angry Toto, uh, you get some great quotes. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get a few angry team principals over the weekend, just adding to uh, the spice and drama of all of this. Everyone's angry, hot, blistering, tired of seeing one another. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's... Oh, this is going to be a good season. It's going to be a good season. So much so that you can't even see right now, but Lawrence just took a sip of water because it's getting that spicy here. Well, I suppose we move away a little bit from the politics again because, like I said, and Lawrence has said, both these stories need a lot of clarification that we're sure will come bit by bit, but at least in the meantime, it's entertaining for the rest of us that are not directly involved. So strap in and, I guess, enjoy the show. But now let's go to another show that I must say I have enjoyed over the last two weeks, Lawrence, and that is the Nico Hulkenberg show. For better or for worse, he didn't get the podium that we wanted to see. You know, he didn't even get to start the first uh, weekend at Silverstone, but still it has put his name back into the mix. He did, I think, a world of good for him just to even just remind people that, hey, he still got it, even though he just came straight from stay home and where he was about to be an analyst for the weekend to actually racing in the race he was set to analyze you know which was um pretty remarkable to see how he was able to mobilize and still have it even though i'm sure his body might be rebelling a little bit with him right now but he says as well it's just you know shown how much he still wants to be in formula one he still wants to be there and he still probably can race now there was all the talk or there was some talk as well um, before even the Sebastian Vettel to Racing Point talk started heating up that maybe if Nico does so well at Racing Point with a brilliant car, maybe he'll just, you know, usurp um, Sergio Perez and he might have to deal with him next season. But now um, I believe that Nico has said that he has had some talks with Alfa Romeo as well, which have heated things up or he has at least been talking to the owner and they seem to be favorable. So what do you think of this, Lawrence? Would this, would this make sense? I think it would. Um, the only downside at the moment is that the Alfa Romeo is the least competitive car on the grid. But um, Nico Hulkenberg was talking to one of F1's official podcasts about this and 
Tom Clarkson, who is one of the hosts on that, was saying that he'd been talking to Fred Vasseur. Tom Clarkson, by the way, is one of the people who is allowed in the paddock. He's allowed yes. to go and talk to people uh, both on and off the record. He hosts the F1 press conferences as well. So um, he's clearly heard something from Fred Vasseur, who is the team principal at uh, Alfa Romeo, that um, he's keen on Nico. If you look at Alfa Romeo's driver situation for next year, what well, the moment they've got, Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi, neither of which are really setting the world alight. Kimi, now 40 years old, driving around the back of the grid, it's all pointing towards retirement. I mean, Kimi surprised us before by signing a new contract, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if he calls it a day at the end of this year. So that opens up one seat. The other seat is actually um, belongs essentially to the Ferrari Driver Academy as part of the whole Alfa Romeo naming deal and the connections that Alfa Romeo has with Ferrari. So... Um, that's likely to be uh, one of the drivers coming up through Formula 2, uh, Robert Schwartzman or Mick Schumacher. And Giovinazzi, um, although he has improved massively, I think he's actually been one of the drivers who's impressed me this year, but he's been at the back of the grid, so it's hard to really get a, get a feel for it. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he also finds himself out of Formula 1, uh, especially if someone like Nico Hülkenberg is willing to go there. Because with Hülkenberg, what you get is a driver um, who is a very good standard bearer. You know, you know where you, where you are. If you've got rookie drivers coming in, you want someone there who you know uh, one can develop the car, one can give good, good feedback, but also someone who you know you can put some soft tires on it in qualifying and he'll get the best of, of that car. And we saw that in Silverstone with Nico Hülkenberg, just two qualifying sessions back into it and he put that racing point third. So behind only the Mercedes, which were unbeatable on Saturday at least. So... That's got to be really appealing. And that's where Nico Hülkenberg's done himself a huge amount of favours with uh, his performance and also his attitude this weekend. He's come back in and kind of, you know, made the most of, of, of the opportunities he's had at uh, Racing Point and I think made himself a clear uh, choice for, for any teams that are looking for, for, for a new drive, driver in 2021. The question is, can Alfa Romeo convince him that it's worthwhile? But if you listen to that interview that he gave, uh, it does sound like he is desperate to get back into Formula One. And if anything, these last two weekends at Silverstone have crystallized that in his mind that he wants to get back in F1, no matter which way possible. And let's say he does come in at the back of the grid uh, and he's outperforming that car, maybe in the same way as George Russell is, it could just open another door. So maybe a one-year contract or one year with an option uh, to stay, uh, that, that, that could be a very good thing for both him and Alfa Romeo. If he's willing to go to the back of the grid, it makes perfect sense. But that's always a tricky thing for a racing driver. But right now, I think Hulkenberg feels he has unfinished business. So I can see that coming together. All right. Well, with that said, Lawrence, you know exactly where my mind is going to go now. Because I was about to say two weeks isn't enough of Nico Hulkenberg. But we really only got one to see him in that racing point car. And I suppose considering the car didn't even start that first week at um, Silverstone. He probably could use last weekend, the second weekend at Silverstone, as a bit of a, a warm-up. He didn't get close to that podium finish that we expected, but could he get a second chance come this weekend in Spain? What's the deal there? Because um, we know how sensitive this coronavirus pandemic is. We know, of course, that they will be you know, dealing with Sergio Perez as as probably as they need to, given the fact that he returned, you know, positive tests again from his other tests from coronavirus just before the second Silverstone weekend. So it does beg the question, if it's a bit too risky to bring back Sergio right now for this weekend that we're only like, what, two days away from, 
could we see Nico? <laughs> I'm like crossing my fingers and toes underneath here. Could we see him again in Racing Point in Spain this weekend? Well, well Nico's definitely made himself Racing Point's go-to reserve. But as we speak, and this could change by the time anybody listens to this podcast, uh, we, we don't know exactly what will happen. Last weekend, Racing Point team principal Otmar Zafnauer said he was 99% certain Sergio Perez would be back in the car. Obviously, he returned a positive coronavirus test ahead of last weekend which meant he couldn't race uh but racing point well they wanted him to take that test so we were kind of pushing for him to be back in the car so um clearly that's what they want but uh the nature of this virus i mean i'm i, I don't i'm not a doctor i don't know enough about it uh Zafnauer said that it was leaving his system they could see it leaving his system i don't know if you can see that from the kind of tests we have but they claim that was the case and that um and that they're pretty hopeful that Sergio Perez will be back in there, which is understandable because as great as Hulkenberg was, you know, we saw that during the course of the race, tire management, things like that, uh, got away from him a little bit. And that's just the experience of, of, of being in that car um from testing all the way through the first few races. So um certainly Racing Point wanted to be Perez, but all depends on that test. All depends on that test prior to the race. Um I got the press conference uh lineup through uh, earlier this morning and it was still a TBC so you had Lance Racing Point Lance Stroll confirmed TBC next to him so um, we will have to wait and see but yeah it, it will just come down to that test and if Perez is fit and healthy he's back in the car uh, if he's not uh, then Hulkenberg's in it no questions asked well, I suppose that's going to either way make for a very interesting Spanish Grand Prix that's already very interesting for a number of reasons. So let's just go straight into our, our preview of what to expect this weekend and what Lawrence is expecting from teams, the weather to drivers. And probably the most difficult thing to predict is always the weather because, you know, we're not Mother Nature and probably only she can predict the weather. But Lawrence, I suppose on a good day or on a regular day, I suppose, what... Just explain the circuit um, there for this Spanish Grand Prix. Like, what 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 are the usual expectations from it? Who do you usually expect probably to do good on it? And then set the second scene because we know we are in unprecedented times of having to do it in August and expecting some scorching, scorching temperatures as well. So just compare the two, so we could probably have an idea of who might be looking forward to it and probably who might not be. So it's um, a track that all the teams know incredibly well because they go testing there at the start of each year so uh they have a huge amount of data built up on it and that tends to make fairly predictable races it's also a relatively high speed circuit uh not too dissimilar to silverstone not quite as extreme as silverstone but not far off uh and so in normal conditions in a may race we probably would have said uh mercedes will would be the team to beat but then we saw the weakness in the Mercedes last weekend with the heat. And, and that's the big question. I'm just looking at a forecast now. And uh, Friday, 28 degrees. Saturday, 30 degrees. Uh, Sunday, 29 degrees. And those temperatures aren't quite as high as maybe we thought. We, there was some suggestion it might be up at like 34. Yeah, it's actually but, decent. Yeah. I might need a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, 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 not too bad. But I, I can guarantee it will feel hotter than that. You know, I mean... I, uh and also the track temperature there as well um tends to build quite quite quickly so uh i think what you'll see is that that will still put mercedes in that territory where where they're a little bit concerned about the tires um talk, speaking on tires now I may, may, may as well uh note that the tire compounds are going back to their hardest uh three compounds that probably have uh, so they're all going harder than they were last weekend 
which will no doubt help Mercedes. The tyre pressures are going back down to a sensible uh, PSI, so they're actually going down four PSI at the front, one and a half PSI at the rear, and that was really contributed to Mercedes issues um, in Silverstone. So of the problems, of the three factors that caused Mercedes issues in Silverstone, uh, two of those are going kind of in their favor. And then the heat, well, it probably will be hotter than Silverstone was. So that's kind of going the other way. So they're not out the woods, but um, I would suspect uh, them to kind of also have understood a huge amount from from Silverstone and, and be back in it. But it's it, it's certainly a racetrack uh, that rewards a car that's good in uh, high-speed corners. And assuming the tyres can live with that, that's still the Mercedes. All right. Well, I suppose with that said then, because um, after we saw what happened at the weekend or the, over the last two weekends, I know the number one question that everyone was asking the drivers was, you know, what do they expect come next weekend? Um, given those temperatures, given it's Spain in August, and all of them said, look, we, we, have, we still all have to sit down as a team and look back at what went wrong or probably what went so right, i.e. with Red Bull and, and Max Verstappen. But it is still hard to predict. But now that you know Max Verstappen, I suppose, got us excited about um, maybe making it a proper race for the Drivers' Championship at least or just at least giving us something different to talk about. You know, when we see that slightly things go wrong for Mercedes, how much it can um, throw them off despite the fact that they're still able to dominate and we were talking about them as if they had come dead last and it was still <laughs> second and third poor Valtteri Bottas was about as gutted as if he had finished completely last and outside of the points as he did in the first weekend um, at Silverstone so Max Verstappen in Barcelona what are you expecting from him? Well, I think Red Bull will go at it, uh, looking at uh, as another great opportunity. If this is a real weakness in the Mercedes, Spain in August is got to be the um, one of the target races to win, and they'll also be looking at Spa. They'll be looking at Mugello, which is a high-speed track we've not been to before. So, if there is going to be a Red Bull challenge this year. It has to continue. It started in Silverstone. It has to continue this weekend. Um, and uh, you know what Max is like. I mean, you know, we heard him on the radio throughout that race. Uh, he doesn't back off. He, he'll be completely and utterly dogged trying to chase down those Mercedes and uh, and take the win off them. And in a way, that's a nice position to be in, isn't it? To be the driver who all you have to worry about is getting the maximum out of the car. Because if it goes wrong and, you know, you finish third behind the Mercedes... No one's going to blame you, you know. No, no one's going to look at you and, and suggest that um, you didn't live up to expectations. But it, it, if you do push, then uh, then uh, that'll be the thing. What what one other point about uh, Circuit de Catalunya Barcelona or Barcelona Catalunya? Can't remember what they've renamed it now. But um, one other point about it is that it tends to hurt the front left tire, and uh, that was the problem we saw at the first Silverstone race when we had the hardest compounds. Uh, but it's not so hard on the rear tyres, which is where Mercedes' big problem area was um, last weekend. So assuming Mercedes know all that and they have far more data available um, than uh, you or I, then I imagine they'll be able to uh, kind of, you know, factor that in. But that will be the tyre to look out for. And, you know, in the heat and with extreme wear and if teams are going for one-stop races and stuff like that, we may also see that original problem Pirelli had uh, pop up again, especially with those tyre PSIs going down as much as they are. I was a bit surprised by that, but um, you know, probably know what they're doing too. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure they've uh, they've factored that in. But 
that's what Red Bull will be looking to do, just expose the weakness of the Mercedes. And the only way they can do that is push them, push them, push them. I don't think they'll qualify ahead of them. I don't think they'll qualify ahead of them the whole year, to be honest, unless something very unusual happens in qualifying to Mercedes. But in the race, uh, they've got to give themselves some strategy flexibility. They've got to be aggressive. If it doesn't work out, they're probably going to finish third anyway. Uh, and, and like I said, that's a nice position to be in for both Verstappen and Red Bull. And I mean, I suppose while we're talking about Red Bull and, and given the fact that we have been talking a lot about Max, because if it's anyone that will push Mercedes, it definitely is him and rightfully so. And and we have also been trying to figure out what's going on with Alex Albon. And sometimes I do forget that he is in a Red Bull, you know, and when I see Max Verstappen doing well, I almost go, Alex too, right? Um, he didn't have as disastrous of a weekend, of course, compared to the last two that he probably had before. And he did, I would say, get a little bit of an injection of some confidence probably considering that you know he had an okay showing out there um so anything he can learn from that weekend and that red bull can learn from that last weekend that they could apply for this one to see that he just carries on you know not having disastrous weekends as he have because we clearly see how it can affect him and and deal you know a big blow to his confidence so for alex the focus has to be qualifying that's where he's struggling at the moment and that's putting him in a position where he has to fight back now i love watching him fight back around the outside of you know, different drivers and different corners as much as anyone else, but it's not conducive to a race result that that car deserves. You've got to remember that he started ninth in uh, the last race at Silverstone, Leclerc started eighth, and they finished fourth and fifth uh, in the same order with Leclerc ahead of Albon. In my mind, that's not good enough when you look at how fast that Rebel is and we know how much Ferrari is struggling. Okay, they're on different strategies, but Verstappen was so quick in that lead Red Bull. Uh, Alex needed to do something a little bit more of it so it comes down to qualifying and I'd say this is probably the best race for Alex in that regard because not only uh, is it a circuit he knows very well it's also a circuit he's already driven in this car they obviously did pre-season testing there so he'll know a few little tricks around there he'll know what to expect the car's developed a lot since then no doubt I mean it's probably will feel like quite a different race car but hopefully that will only be positive because we saw that it was very unstable um in pre-season testing in the early races and it looks like Red Bull is just starting to get a handle of that um my hope is that Red Bull will allow him to do three practice sessions where all he's concentrating on is his own performance and not doing too many comparisons with different wings and different noses and different you know setups and stuff like that of course they need to be able to figure out the best potential package but my hope is that he also gets that time to really focus on his own performance and figure out the points in the lap where he's losing to max experiment in those points of the lap and then um and then make the difference i think it seemed like the slower corners in uh in silverstone were the issue i think in qualifying he was giving away two temps in uh the loop turn four which is a lot to be losing in in, in one corner it's quite a lot to have a, as a gap to your teammate over a whole lap but in one corner mm. you just can't live with that so my hope is that they'll get out in practice. Max will set a benchmark. Alex will be able to look exactly where he's missing out, make up that difference, and then hopefully qualify the Red Bull. I think it really top five, and he'll have a he'll have a great race. But if he's again, you know, anywhere kind of towards the uh, bottom of the top ten or outside of Q3, as we've seen him already this year, then uh, that's where the problems you know start, and it's almost impossible to recover, no matter how spectacular his race is. And then I can't believe I almost have to ask this because we at least, but you know what, at least it's something different because we never really do have to go too in-depth with Mercedes because you just expect them to do well week in, week out. But I just have to know, how do you 
want to see or expect Mercedes to approach this weekend because we speak time and time again that even though they did come second and third, there's no doubt that Lewis, Valtteri and Toto from their somber kind of mood after this last weekend in Silverstone shows that they do take it as a loss because they are used to just completely dominating. And you guys have said time and time again that the Lewis Hamilton that people have to try and beat is the Lewis Hamilton, not the one we see week in, week out, but it's the one that we see when he suffers a setback. And even though second place on a podium is not a setback, we know the perfectionist Lewis is. So it probably is a little bit of a setback, you know, for him, especially considering it was Silverstone, 70th anniversary Grand Prix on home soil. That must have stung him a little bit. So how do you expect Mercedes to approach this weekend? You know, will they focus clearly on, like, tire management? Is there any danger of them playing it safe? What do you kind of want to see safe from, from Valtteri even this weekend? Well, it was really interesting. So Andrew Shovlin, who's the head of trackside engineering at Mercedes, he's basically uh, the lead engineer when they're at the racetrack. And he said that he was really looking forward to getting back into the factory on Monday and going through it because as much as, you know, the problem they had set them back, it was also something they didn't expect. It's something that, you know, obviously they didn't send the cars out there expecting the rear tyres to struggle as much as they did. So there, he's actually excited about the engineering challenge that comes with it, which tells you everything you need to know about Mercedes and their engineers is that... I think I know you're they... excited about that too. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, it is interesting, I, you know, because it, it, it was so against the run of play that we've seen this this year that there has to be a reason for it. And it's, it's pinpointing that. And the thing is, if they do understand it, then it's not only just stopping that issue, it's kind of, they'll also find um, advantages and, gains at times when the temperatures aren't so extreme when the tires aren't so extreme for the circuit and all that kind of stuff so they'll find little gains everywhere else so i think that's why they enjoy it so much is because you know it's clearly a gap in their understanding they thought they understood this car pretty well and now they found a gap in their understanding and uh and that creates a whole other engineering issue which they're going to chase after so they would have been running through um simulations and stuff back at the factory uh, they may have done some work in the simulator although the simulator uh depends a little bit team to team but it's never a great gauge of tires because tires are just such a, a difficult thing to get your head around so it's often quite hard to simulate them uh without being on the track but then they'll run through a bunch of experiments no doubt on friday perhaps um even you know just trying to put the tires a little bit back into that danger zone and then trying to figure out with setup how you can keep those temperatures down and stuff like that so um i think just hearing them talk about it it's kind of almost slightly daunting for the rest of the field because they enjoy uh this kind of thing and that is the secret to their success i guess but um from a driver perspective i don't think either driver can be really um pinpointed as the reason it went wrong so i'm sure lewis i think the reason lewis was quite happy is because he came out ahead of valtteri at the end of it all anyway and he knows as Obviously, Max is closer to him now in the point standings, but the the threat from the start of the year has kind of been the guy who's got the same machinery as him. So I think that's why Lewis was actually pretty pretty happy with it because he knew it wasn't really his driving. If anything, he dealt with it better than Valtteri. So he was actually managing the issue uh, on, a, on a level that Valtteri couldn't do as well. So I think he knows it's probably a one-off and, and, and that he can actually get back in the car and treat it the same way. And um, it's kind of on the engineers to kind of figure out how to protect those rear tires a little bit more, 
which I, which I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they'll be able to do. But that's why it's so important that Red Bull strike uh, strike right now and uh, and push them again in this race. So um, yeah, it will be it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. And I suppose quickly on the best of the rest before we get your podium predictions, because like I said, with um, Racing Point, we always expect them to be somewhere in the mix just because of how good their car has been performing. So definitely want your expectations there. And I can't believe I'm saying this again, but Ferrari expectations because Charlotte Claire continues to get this car to punch above its weight. So any chance that we could see this continue this weekend and how bad of a weekend, how much ice cream do I need to buy for Sebastian Vettel? to drown his sorrows again after a miserable weekend. Are you expecting that as well? <laughs> I think you might need to buy a whole ice cream store. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think he probably can afford a whole ice cream store. Yeah. But you know what, Seb? I'll do what I have to. I'll do what yeah. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope he likes ice cream. I'm sure he does. Um, I, I wonder what his favorite flavor is. Probably like schnitzel. Schnitzel flavor. <laughs> Yeah, you never know. They put bacon in ice cream nowadays, yeah, so yeah, yeah. maybe there's some funky like schnitzel and beer ice cream. Yeah, I was trying yeah. to think oh, of I, the most German thing. No, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, I'd give schnitzel and beer ice cream a go. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so to, to get back to your question, basically about, around the midfield teams, right? So Racing Point, um, again, we feel like they kind of underperformed in sort of, and they actually experienced similar issues to the Mercedes, surprise, surprise, with a car that's very similar to the Mercedes. <laughs> and obviously they looked very quick on the Saturday with Nico Hulkenberg third. Again, you know, no surprise. But this is a circuit that should suit uh, Racing Point. All the characteristics of that car uh, should mean that it's quick around there. And also with the higher, harder tyre compounds, I feel like, you know, they could do better. I, it's it's a, the messy situation around Hulkenberg coming in, Perez going out, won't have helped. And so I still feel like, you know, they've underperformed pretty much every race year and i feel like that probably could continue I, I don't have the confidence in racing point to say this is the race where they get a podium even though on paper the track looks like it could be uh the kind of race where, where they get a podium but i don't have the confidence to say it because of the changes that are going on there and because they just haven't been able to maximize that car yet certainly in race conditions so um i would still kind of imagine them you know kind of nipping at the podium but but not quite getting there um, Ferrari, this isn't a track that should suit Ferrari, but then nor should a Silverstone, really. So um, I guess a lot of that has to do with Leclerc. They went a very different way with uh, their setup in uh, Silverstone, where they reduced the drag, ran a skinnier rear wing, uh, which we talked about a little bit before. Definitely seemed to suit Leclerc more than Vettel. Um, I don't know whether they'll get away with that at um, in, in Spain so much because there aren't so many long straights. There's one very long straight, but that's kind of it. Uh, so you probably need to run a bit more wing just to make sure that you've got the performance in those long corners. So turn three is a really long, fast corner and you need the downforce acting on the car to be able to get um, a decent first sector time there. Turn nine is another high-speed corner, uh, which you know people often kind of gauge as, uh, as, 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 a, as a perfect point to find out who's good at high-speed corners and who's not. So I feel like, Ferrari might not be able to use the same trick they used in Silverstone and they might be a little bit back more to realising the true performance of that car, which I think would put them kind of, you know, sixth, seventh fish. Yeah. Uh, and then who have you got filling in? Well, you know, Renault have looked good at times. McLaren went a bit off the boil, didn't they, in Silverstone, uh, which which was a bit of a surprise. But if anything, that will probably uh, translate over to this track again because of those high-speed corners. doesn't seem to be a strength of the McLaren at the moment. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I think as we've seen throughout the year 
that midfield battle is so close to cool and really it just comes down to which driver and which team is uh nailing the whole weekend stringing everything together making the most of the strategy and uh recently that has been charles leclerc and that's why he's he did so well at those two silverstone races was he they basically went their own way you know they didn't follow the conventional uh kind of approach of the rest of the field which is always a positive thing in formula one if your car is underperforming you need to do something different and so um yeah i i i think uh they'll try and do that again but i just feel like here at a circuit that everyone knows so well that's going to be more difficult all right well with that said give me your podium because we'll get to Nate's bold predictions and his podiums in a bit. And then we'll, of course, get pit stop next and get everyone's constantly bold predictions. I can't wait to see what they do have to say. But give me yours, Lawrence. Well, I'm going to bank on the fact that everybody else comes up with some very bold predictions. And I'm going to give you a boring, realistic prediction. But I'm going to add a bit of spice into it. So I think Mercedes is going to get on top of it and they're going to finish 1-2. But I'm going to put Valtteri ahead of Lewis because, weirdly... Barcelona has always been a circuit that Valtteri's done quite well at. It's always a circuit that he's he's enjoyed. And uh, he took pole position there ahead of Lewis last year. He lost it by the time they got to the first corner. But, you know, Valtteri starts and all that. Um, but I, but I, I, I do feel like maybe here's the last chance to get something uh, back at a circuit that, that he quite likes. So I'm going to say Valtteri wins, Lewis second, Max third. I know that's boring, but that's because I'm relying on Nate and all our wonderful viewers, listeners, readers to, uh, to, to provide something more exciting. So To say all the foolishness so that your reputation stays intact, but the rest of us just get shut down. I'm kidding. I love that absolute bold prediction. Well, now it's that time again, because Lawrence and I have been chatting away for however long now. So we need a pit stop. And this is a pit stop where we get to stop thinking and we get to take all of your bold predictions or questions if you have them. But we know you guys like to fancy yourselves as analysts so we got some interesting ones here Lawrence um I'll get to <laughs> the interesting ones in a bit but Dejerito says first Valtteri Bottas second Charlotte Claire third Danny Ricardo that's true we didn't even get to talk about Danny Ricardo after the second weekend in um Silverstone um but I suppose we'll get to talk to him you know talk about him rather in a bit Sagar says Norris on the podium and another win for Red Bull and Max Verstappen Osmosoli says Oh my goodness. <laughs> Brace yourself for this one. He says P1 podium first, Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> Second, Kimi Raikkonen. And third, Latifi. <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, is he in 2018 or something? Because that was a reasonable prediction in 2018, apart from the Latifi bit, of course, because Latifi was racing in Formula 2. But yeah, I like that one. I want to know what he had for breakfast and where can I get some of that? The only F1 fan in America, that's his name, says Carlos Sainz to finally get a good result. Yeah, it's about time, isn't it? Um, he's mm. really kind of been unlucky more than anything else, but he's getting shown up a bit by Norris. Um, of course, he has that Ferrari contract in his pocket, so maybe he doesn't mind too much. But um, still, it's not been a good year for Carlos. But we know that He's still a very good racing driver. We know that the results aren't far away. So, yeah, I agree. I'd like to see that too. The formula says Hamilton, Albon, Verstappen in that order. Oh, big weekend for Albon then. KB also says Albon to podium off a top five qualifying. Mm. Varun says it will be so hot. Mercedes are screwed. I say Verstappen, Charles Leclerc and Valtteri Bottas. What? 
So only Lewis is screwed then. <laughs> <laughs> Becky asks, just how much slower can Ferrari make Vettel's car go? The two cars should be expected to be similar, at least in straight line speed and power. Obviously, they are not. How much more will the company do to create less for Vettel's car? And do they not want more constructors points anymore? Yeah, well, I mean, this is uh, seems to be a common theme on the internet, uh, on Twitter, on kind of Reddit that people do think that Ferrari is um, sabotaging its own car in some way. Uh, I don't really see the logic about it. We talked about it last weekend. Mm. You know, this is a season where they are currently third in the standings, but only by a point, and they could quite easily slip to six uh, by the end of the year if they don't have two cars performing on, on the same level. So uh, I'm sorry, but I'm sure that car, you know, I'm hoping there's like a crack in the chassis or something like that, and they can change mm. it for this weekend, and that explains everything that's happened. But really the the one point that it's all kind of pointing towards is sebastian not doing the job <sighs> crazy times carla says there are some chances of rain so that could be interesting if it comes true renee says lewis announces that he will humbly swap seats with george russell for 2021 oh my goodness where's lewis going then to williams i mean he's, he yet, to sign, he's yet to sign his contract so that's another little that would be a massive plot twist though like <laughs> Yeah, Lewis I Hamilton. that story. Lewis Hamilton at Williams. Imagine that. <laughs> Baron says, I expect to see loads of aero upgrades on all cars. Chris says, I predict it's going to be hot, so don't forget to hydrate. Oh, thanks, Chris. Nice. Oh, we're boiling here in England, too. So Walter says, what tire compounds are going to be available? I suppose you did touch on it a little earlier. Yeah, so C1, C2, C3, uh, which is the hardest tires in Pirelli's range. The tires that Mercedes looked pretty dominant on at Silverstone the first time round until the front lefts exploded. So um, take from that what you will. Tire pressure's going down as well uh, compared to last weekend. Gabriel says the stewards will look the other way when Hamilton speeds in the pit lane and any other incident. Oh, salty. Jonathan says number one, Hamilton, two, Verstappen, three, Danny Ricardo with a surprise podium and... Fourth will either go to Charles Leclerc or Valtteri Bottas. Gosh, Valtteri, I can't see. I can't see another tough weekend for Valtteri. It would break my heart, and I will put all the oats in the world in his pancakes to cheer him <laughs> up after that. Jeff says George makes it past Q2 this weekend. Hey, he has been looking good though, hasn't he? He has. Um, trying to think, is this a circuit that will suit the Williams? Probably not. I think they prefer lower speed stuff. They liked Hungary for that reason. So. Yeah, uh, not sure this is the one, but I reckon at some point this year that's possible. Just to go back to the Lewis one on speeding in the pit lane, because it did look like that. And we all thought that in the media center when we saw it. It looked very much like he carried too much speed over that line. The FIA said that speed trap is um, on the whole time. It never gets switched off and it didn't register. So, yeah. Um, it, but it did look like it. I have to say from the TV pictures, it looked like he was speeding over that line. But the FIA said no, he was, he was within uh, the speed that he should have been. Cool. And finally, Mikey says, Kimi Raikkonen to win. <laughs> Grosjean second. And Magnussen third. That's my top three. That'll work. All you have to do is get the timesheets and turn them upside down. And there you go. That's your result. <laughs> exactly. I think that's exactly what would have to happen for us to see that granted like i keep saying it's 2020 and probably crazier things have happened but all three of those as a podium that might be peak 2020. yeah well, i also like this all ferrari engines on the podium but no actual ferrari but yeah. oh 
Well, because nobody can give Sebastian Vessel a shot in the dark right now. Because it sounds like he's his biggest rival is his own team. Or his own demons. Who knows? Who knows? Cool, well, those are interesting predictions, of course. But let's get even more interesting now with Nate's bald, bald, bald predictions. <laughs> we will still get a proper jingle for this, I promise. Um, Nate obviously isn't here with us right now physically because coronavirus. But he's also got a nice day off because he deserves it. So he did manage to send in his little predictions for his podium and his bald predictions in. So here they are. Ball prediction time. I actually have two, and they're linked together. First one is the Spanish Grand Prix. It's the scene of the most famous Mercedes clash that we've ever seen, Rosberg and Hamilton in 2016. Uh, I think we're going to see a repeat of that this weekend. I think Bottas is a man with nothing to lose, a man who quite rightly is upset with how the last two races went, you know, luck going against him. Going to put everything out there to try and get past Lewis uh, or try and defend from Lewis, who I think still doesn't really change his mindset, regardless of how far up the road he is in the championship. So to see those two guys coming together, that opening the door for another Max Verstappen win, and he's suddenly five points behind in the championship. And we see Sergio Perez, a man who spent two weeks at home mulling things over, watching Sebastian Vettel do the elbow pump with Lawrence Stroll, reading about Vettel being in the Ferrari drive with Otmar Safnauer, comes back with a vengeance and, uh, and puts Racing Point back on the podium, just in the middle of all of this controversy around its car. I really like that. I wish I'd thought of that. Um, and also, I might start writing the race report now, because I think it could happen. So I might get that one in the bag beforehand, um, because that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, I mean, as much as, you know, we, we, we like Mercedes and, you know, and they, they deserve all the success that comes to him. Uh, that incident back in 2016 between Hamilton and Rosberg just set that season on fire and i guess it would do the same again this year if it happened um yeah so uh i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna start right now we, we have a friend a guardian journalist who always writes about four race reports before the race has started so i might take a leaf out of that book and write that one up just for my own entertainment as much as anything else perfect well i think that's uh that's a wrap for our show this week lawrence is gonna make this scorching journey right back to london I'm going to enjoy what's left of Nate's sweet little hometown here in Colchester that I came for a little weekend away. Nate gave me all these brilliant predictions. Hear me predictions. You see, I'm always in like work mode. He gave me all these brilliant recommendations for pubs to go to. I didn't even get to go to one. But don't worry, we should do an F1 pod in everybody's hometown. That includes mine of Kingston. We'll fly out. Might be even more scorching hot. But you know what? There's a sea breeze. So there we go. And Nate can top up his tan on his bald spot. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much of course to Lawrence thanks so much to Nate thanks to everyone for listening make sure to join us again on Sunday where we'll be reacting to everything following the Spanish Grand Prix action which you can catch on ESPN at 9 10 a.m. Eastern time for all our viewers in the US until then it's bye for now